0: Hey there! Welcome to the Tint. I'm your host Scott Feldman, and it's time for yet another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. With far more than just a passing interest about you know tossing leaves and twigs and seed pods into my tanks, I'm a bit I don't know obsessed with some of the more functional aspects of botanical materials in the aquatic environment. If you haven't guessed this already, which you probably did, and the reality is that there's simply no real body of work in the hobby upon which to draw for information on this aspect of our craft. Now, sure, there's the occasional articles about, you know, how to aquascape with seed pods, and well, actually, there probably aren't any, or maybe some pieces about selection of wood and stuff like that. Well, barely, but really almost nothing about how these materials affect the closed environment of an aquarium. Okay, nothing that isn't found on my podcast or in the blog. People aren't talking about this stuff for whatever reasons. It's kind of interesting. Yet, as we all delve deeper and deeper into the dark and seedy world of botanicals, it's kind of interesting to learn a few things about them that we might not know already, like literally just going underneath the most basic level of information out there, not being afraid to search, you know, more academic stuff, And if you do that, you can find a lot of good information, which can really help you create and maintain more successful botanical method aquariums. And a lot of this starts with just an understanding of the botanicals themselves and how they impact the aquatic environments in which they end up, or for that matter, understanding the wild aquatic habitats that we're interested in replicating in our tanks in the first place. And it goes beyond just those amazing aesthetics. An interesting place to start is to simply review a little bit about the very composition of the materials that we typically play with, like seed pods and leaves and stuff like that. Well, you probably knew this, but many seed pods and similar botanicals contain a substance known as lignin. You've heard me refer to lignin quite a bit over the years. Lignin is basically defined as a group of organic polymers, which are essentially the structural materials which support the tissues of vascular plants. They're common in bark, wood, and, yes, seed pods, and they provide protection from rotting and a sort of structural rigidity. In other words, they make seed pods kind of tough. That being said, they are typically broken down by fungi and bacteria in aquatic environments over time. Inputs of terrestrial materials like leaf litter and seed pods into these aquatic habitats also leach dissolved organic carbon, or DOCs, rich in lignin and cellulose. Factors like light intensity, mineral hardness, and the composition of the bacterial and fungal community all affect the degree to which this material is broken down into its constituent parts in this environment. Hmm, something we kind of knew already, right? Well, lignin's a major component of the stuff that's leached into our aquatic environments, along with that other big player, tannin. Oh yeah, you've heard of that name, huh? Now, tannins, according to chemists, are a group of astringent biomolecules. These bind and precipitate proteins and other organic compounds. That's what tannins do. They're found in almost every plant around and are really thought to, you know, play a role in protecting plants from predation and potentially to aid their growth. As you might imagine, they're super abundant in, well, leaves. It's thought that tannins comprise as much as 50% of the dry weight of leaves. Like, whoa, 50%. Like, who... Who thought about that? That's crazy, right? And of course, tannins found in leaves, woods, soils, and plant materials tend to be highly water-soluble, creating that look of what we in the aquarium world call black water as they decompose. As tannins leach into the water, they create that transparent yet darkly stained water that we're like obsessed with. In simplified terms, a scientists will tell you that what we call black water Tends to occur when the rate of what's called carbon fixation, i.e., photosynthesis, and its partial decay to soluble organic acids exceeds its rate of complete decay to carbon dioxide, in other words, oxidation. So when photosynthesis um, I'm throwing a blank on myself, So photosynthesis exceeds, the rate of photosynthesis exceeds the rate of oxidation, that's when you get black water, that, that helps, that's one of the conditions that forms black water. I know that sounds a little crazy and a little bit hard to wrap your hand around, but do, if you're interested, do a little bit of basic chemistry study and you might find some interesting stuff in there. I mean, sometimes the research you do on these topics, if once you, if you could explain it better than I can... <laughs> the research you do on these topics can unlock some interesting tangential information which can be applied to our work in aquariums now here's another interesting tidbit of information from science for those of you weirdos like me who like using wood leaves and stuff like that in your aquariums but that, that's good but there's those of you that use this stuff and they don't like the brown water yeah there's a few of you out there Well, you can add baking soda to the water that you soak your wood and stuff in to accelerate the leaching process. Why is this? Well, more alkaline solutions tend to draw out tannic acid from wood and other materials than do pH neutral or acidic water solutions. Or you can simply keep using your high pH Los Angeles tap water like we do. A little armchair speculation here. This might be a good answer as to why some people can't get that super dark tint that they want for the long term in their water. If you have more alkaline water, those tannins are more quickly pulled out. So you might get an initial burst of color, but the color just won't last all that long. We get so many emails from people saying, how do I keep the tint? Well, think about that. Think about your water. Okay, let's think about the biology of sort of these Blackwater ecosystems or botanically influenced ecosystems for a little bit and contemplate how some aspects of their composition and function can be applied to our aquariums. Well, as you know, during the rainy season in the tropics, overflowing streams flood the forest floors, accumulating materials which fish communities utilize for food and shelter. Boy, we've talked about that a few hundred times, haven't we? And the materials that fall from the surrounding trees and the riverbanks are major contributors to the productivity of this ecosystem. As the waters recede somewhat, temporary streams flow through these areas. We love talking about temporary streams, don't we? Now, interestingly, scientists have found that these streams have very little internal production of food sources for the fishes that reside in them. Rather, the food sources come from materials like plants, fruits, leaves, and pieces of wood, which come in from the surrounding terrestrial environment. Oh, and insects too. Lots of insects from the surrounding trees and the shoreline, which fall into the water. Now, as we've said over the years, we've probably said this a bajillion times, those materials and organisms are known as allochthonous inputs in ecology. These are materials imported into an ecosystem from outside of it. Now, this is a rather interesting point. Essentially, it means that these areas, rich habitats that they are, are still almost completely influenced by outside materials. And as one might expect, as more materials fall from the trees and the surrounding dry areas, the greater the abundance of fishes and other aquatic animals which utilize them is found. I mean, it makes sense. They're going to go where the food is, right? And materials will continue to fall into the water and accumulate throughout these periods of inundation, maintaining that richness of the habitat as others decompose or are acted upon by the organisms residing in the water. Again, not unlike an aquarium, right? Actually, when you do the research... You find that the fishes themselves play a significant role in shaping the overall aquatic environment. Fishes which consume matter found in the substrate, known as detritivores, and other materials in the substrate, omnivores, um, also play a fundamental role in the transportation of organic carbon, which is a source of energy for downstream fish communities. So through their foraging processes and activities, these fishes actually enhance the downstream transport and processing of organic material and more or less ensure the proper functioning of the aquatic system and its biological community. These interdependencies are really, really complicated and really, really interesting. And it just goes to show you that some of the things we could do in our aquariums, like utilizing alternative substrate materials, playing with botanicals, tolerating the presence of detritus, and perhaps even utilizing submergent tolerant terrestrial plants are strongly reminiscent of what happens in the wild. Sure, we don't maintain completely open systems, yes I get that, but I just wonder, I wonder just how much of the ecology of these fascinating habitats we can replicate in our tanks and what potential benefits may be realized when we do this. Yes, I think just having a bit more than a superficial understanding of the way botanical materials interact with their aquatic environment and how we can embrace and replicate these systems in our own aquariums is really important to the hobby overall. The real message here is to not be afraid of learning about seemingly complex chemical and biological nuances of uh, aquatic ecosystems and to apply some of this knowledge to our aquatic practice in our aquariums. It can seem a bit intimidating at first. There's a lot of tongue-twisting words and some confusing stuff, but... It also could probably seem a little bit contrarian to conventional aquarium practice, but if you force yourself beyond just the basic hobby-oriented material out there on these topics, hmm, hint once again, there aren't many, <laughs> there's, a literally, there's literally like a whole world of stuff you can learn about. And you should. Don't just take the stuff that I write or talk about here as the last word on the subject. It's not. And guess what? Even though I've studied this stuff for years, I'm still just learning my way with some of these things. Some of my stuff is very speculative in nature. I try not to overly speculate, but I do share when I think I have a hunch on something. The information you can gain from this process just might have an amazing impact on your aquarium practice. Applications that might just lead to some remarkable breakthroughs that will forever change the hobby for everybody. And it all starts with looking under those leaves, both metaphorically and literally. You simply never know what you might find. Stay inquisitive. Stay curious. Stay open-minded. Stay brave. Stay diligent, stay obsessed, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman from 10 and Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of the Ten.